Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure that I have the opportunity of introducing Dr. Alan Leica and Harriet Tinka as special guests today. They have come together and they've written an amazing book called The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, The 13 Golden Pearls Within. Dr. Leica and Harriet Tinka share their harrowing and traumatic personal experiences with possibly facing imminent death and how it's changed their paradigms of the world around them. Dr. Leica was given a misdiagnosis of what he was told was a terminal illness, and Harriet's experience related to a nearly fatal kidnapping and beating from a stalker. Together and individually, they faced their experiences with courage and found inspiration in each day that followed thereafter. A little background. Dr. Leica is a leading cosmetic dermatologist, and he's now known for living a fantastic life and turning point. He's a transformational speaker, thought leader, coach, and mentor. Harriet Tinka is a gorgeous former runway and magazine model. She's found new life since this experience as a transformational speaker, passionate life coach, blogger, chartered professional accountant, football official, and ultra marathon runner. Tinka has become a huge inspiration to women who have faced domestic violence in their lives. And she's the founder and CEO of the award-winning social enterprise, Empowered Me, Inc., a company whose mission seeks to inspire women and girls to be their best. Our guests have joined forces to share their wisdom and to shed light on the fact that even though they may have dealt with traumatic experiences, it's helped really change their lives in a positive way. And they're here today to serve as personal examples of what empowerment can do in one's life. It's a great pleasure that I welcome our special guests, Dr. Alan Leica and Harriet Tinka to the show. Hi, welcome to Hi. the show. How are Hi, you both thank today? you for having me. Yeah, thank you oh. for having us, Jason. It's a pleasure to be on your show. It's such yeah, a pleasure to have you guys on. Uh, I love when I get a chance to have guests on that have such unique perspectives. Uh, a little background for myself, just so you know who you're dealing with. I'm a lawyer and I'm a, I'm a psychic medium, but I also had my own near-death experience. Not near-death, I'd say. A coming, a coming to terms of things when I had a cancer diagnosis a couple of years ago that I overcame. And I can understand when you have the imminence of possibility of having a death in your, in your future, just like this paradigm with COVID, and everything we've been dealing with with the pandemic here in the United States, especially around the world, this kind of stuff is really relevant more than ever, now more than ever. And so I'm just excited and I'm so grateful to have you both on to share your viewpoints today. And um, the first thing I wanna ask before we get into the, the meat and substance of the situation you both went through, I'd like to ask, since your experience with this book, what have you found to be the most amazing aspect of releasing this book to the public and receiving feedback. What type of feedback have you received from your readers? Why don't, why don't you go ahead first, Harriet? Oh, yes, of course, yes. Uh, for me, what I've found 
all from all my friends and from anybody who's read the book, they said this is exactly what they've been looking for. They say that the book itself is very timely. They absolutely love this, the stories because we have a story and a conversation between me and Dr. Laika. They just feel like they can relate to the book itself. And it's not a difficult read. You can put it down and not lose yourself and just want to keep reading it. In fact, my friends, most of them have said that it was almost too short. She's like, wow, 13, it should have been more. But there's some who have said 20 was too much. So we had to find a middle ground. And overall, I've found really good feedback. And it's great to hear that from, from people. You know, for me, it's been just a surreal and amazing experience just to think the miracle that we have created and something that communicates with so many people and helps them in their time of need. It truly, you know, becoming a bestseller in the in the pandemic of 2020 is is absolutely insane. Uh, you know, to 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 be able to to excite so many people and help them in this in this difficult time that so many people are going through is really beyond belief. Mm-hmm. I can I can imagine. I think of the relevance of your story right now more than ever. I, I feel like these uh, unique times, as they call it, the new normal. What the knowledge that you've gained from your own personal experiences that you put into your book. The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, I think it's more applicable now than, as I said earlier, a few minutes ago. Can you share with us and our audience, what would be the most important lesson that you've learned from your personal experiences that you put into your book and you use the metaphor of golden pearls? And I wanted to see if you could explain to our audience a little about that, that metaphor and why it fits within what your purpose of and scope of the secrets to living a fantastic life. Well, I'll I'll take that one, Harriet, if you don't mind. Ooh, you know, yes. golden pearls actually exist, Jason. They exist in the South Philippines and Indonesian areas, and they're extremely rare. A single solitary golden pearl costs upwards of ten thousand dollars. Now, now, do you know what causes a pearl, Jason? Isn't it like an irritation that's in the oyster, and the oyster creates the pearl and covers it over? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the best way to describe it. But, you know, it's trauma to the pearl that causes this this beautiful thing to come out. So a little grain of sand gets inside the wall of the oyster, and the oyster walls it off with this beautiful, glorious, wonderful material that's golden in nature. And, you know, that's really what happened to Harriet and I. Because of our experiences, we were able to find golden pearls in, in people's existence. We were able to find these wonderful things. You, you know, we always find the best when we're in the the deepest of our sorrow. Uh, we, we find the we can only understand the heights of the mountains when we're in the depths of our despair. You know, diamonds are made from pressure and and uh, fire, and that's what makes a diamond out of out of carbon. Um, pearls are made from similar strife, so it's it's important to realize that these things come because of the trauma that people go through. And, and I, I would hazard to guess, Jason, that we really only understand the beauty and the wonderful things about us because of the hardships we go through. That's a very valid point. I think sometimes it's the adversity that helps. I, I think of the analogy, <laughs> ancient Rome, when they would, or like people who would create like swords, they heat it up under the fire to, to forge that steel into that weapon. I feel like we as people, we're forged into our better versions of ourselves through the adversity we deal with. Kind of like what you're, exactly what you're hitting on. The adversity helps create our better moments in, inside ourselves. Our, our yes. own realization of where, why we're here, our purpose, and why we're supposed to go where we're going. Yeah, what do you think about that, Harriet? Oh, I absolutely agree with uh, exactly what you were saying. And to add to that, one of the biggest lessons that we've both learned from this whole experience is the theme of our book, which is it's not what happens to you, it's what you do with what happens. So whatever happened to us, we decided to make it a theme to help people out there to learn from our experiences and share the wisdom that we've learned. And we continue to learn every day. I love that. I, I'm going to 
think of oh, go ahead, Doctor Lake. Yeah, I, you know that was a saying from from a sophist by the name of Epictetus, almost two thousand years ago. Now he was a a slave, and he became a free man. So when he said that it's not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens. He said it with true meaning and with true, true heartfelt sorrow. You know, he went through very, very trying times. You know, I always like to draw on for my own personal example, just because I'm like a nerd in terms of politics, the United States and history and all those things. I always look at Abraham Lincoln and I look at his multiple failures in life. And there's a, there's a lot of times people, people don't always see or view things from, Successful people who they think in their minds, role models, they don't think of all the, all the adversity that person must have went to beforehand. And it's shocking when you read those kind of things for a person, how somebody can literally deal with so much stress and anxiety and fear and fear of the unknown, all those variables, adversity to the core. But it makes them the monumental people and, and create the lives that they wind up leading. And I think that's what I could say for both of you. It sounds like you both went from where you were before, and you're transformed into these amazing messengers, as I'll call it. Messengers well, you of know, both of I, positivity. Both Harriet and I went through tremendous sorrow, and, you know, mine started when I was walking in Disneyland with my wife, and my wife turned to me and said, what's wrong with you? And, and for once in my life, Jason, I hadn't said anything wrong, I hadn't done anything wrong, I haven't even thunk anything wrong. So I was taken somewhat aback by it. But but she persisted, and she said, listen to your foot. Well, my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a right foot drop, which was, oh. which was you know, your brain is designed not to let that happen. Your foot is supposed to uh, go up with every step you take, but mine wasn't. So it, it was a challenge. And, you know, my wife then said, uh, you know, you better get this checked out when you get when we get back. So I knew I had to get it checked out. And, you know, the journey was pretty immense. I had to go through a lot. I went through hundreds of doctors and all of them were, you know, they they did brain scans. They did cat scans. They did pet scans. And you know what they found at the end of all that, Jason? What did they find? Absolutely nothing. And, and, you know, doctors, and I'm one of those uh, beasts in, in that, you know, when we don't find something, we want answers. So we do more tests and more tests and more tests. And then I ended up on the doorstep of a world-leading neurologist. Neurologists are the brain doctors. They're supposed to have all the answers to these puzzles. And I walked in and he said, Dr. Leica, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. Why? What's wrong? I've got a dropped right foot. He said, no, you don't. You have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Get your affairs in order. In six months, you're going to get be dead. Wow, that yeah. hit me like a ton of uh, bricks. And so I, so I asked him, "Can you prove oh, this diagnosis?" He said, "Of course, on autopsy." Oh boy, you know, for our audience, doctor, can you share with our audience what Lou Gehrig's disease is in a in a short description, so they might know? You know, I know a bunch I, of people I guess will be the best way right to now. describe Lou Gehrig's <laughs> disease it's a it's a chronically it, it's a rapidly progressive disease that affects part of the brain, the primitive part of the brain. And because it develops so rapidly, it literally causes a person to die within a very short period of time. Now, some people will remember an author by the name of, of Stephen Hoppings, who was a physicist that was paralyzed yeah. and actually lived with it for years. But it's very rare a person lives with this disease for any length of time. Usually within a year of the time that you have this, you're dead. And it just is rapidly progressive because eventually what it does is stop you from breathing. It, it eventually envelops your the, the part of your brain that causes you to breathe and says stop. Now, one aspect of that that troubles me when I think of this illness is doesn't it make it so that you're basically dying within your body, you're trapped in your body itself, but you're still aware potentially of what's occurring? Well, that, that's basically what it is. But, you know, when yeah. I got this diagnosis, Jason, I, 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 you know, when you get anything that's like this, you go through a grief reaction. You go through a reaction oh, sure. where, where you go through anger and, and, and your body yeah, you became angry at everything. You go through bargaining. Oh, God, please don't let this happen. Uh, I'll do anything if you don't let this happen. You go through denial, you know, that there's nothing wrong. I can do anything. But, you know, in your heart of hearts, there is something wrong. And you go through depression. 
Your whole body mm-hmm. uh, can't doesn't work. You you can't sleep. You can't eat. Every day is dark and black, and so on. But you know, these are the phases of grieving people go through. And I think right now the world is going through grieving. You see the same phases that are going on in the world that I went through. You see the anger. You see the denial. You see the bargaining. You see the depression. I mean, you read the headlines right now, and every 10 minutes, the world's going to end. You know, it's, it's, it's a very, very trying time that the world's going through. But, you know, I found my answer by, by looking hard and studying and, and figuring it out. And, and Jason, um, back in 2003, a little bit before that, something neat was invented, and it was called the Internet. You ever hear of that thing? <laughs> Rather, uh, once in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once in a while. Like every 10 seconds these days because yep. it's so overpowering. But, you know, back then it was very primitive. Back then you had to get on with dial-on connections. You really had to let your phone go into a cradle, and it would go, for seemed like forever. And finally it connected with another phone, and you could get on. But there were no search engines back then. There was no Dr. Google. There was no AOL. There was no Yahoo. What you had to do was look up each individual site. And you used to have a primitive language like DOS in order to get on because computers had no memory. And so fortunately, I had friends that were nerds, and they were able to get me on. And I found a doctor in Colorado Springs, Colorado, that had a disease similar to mine. His name was David Martz. But he got very worse much more rapidly. And he was on his deathbed when all of a sudden doctors were arriving from around the world to say goodbye to him. And a doctor came up from Texas and he looked at David and said, David, I don't think you have ALS. I don't think you have Lou Gehrig's disease. David whispered because that's all he could do at that time. And he he said, what do I have? And the doctor said, I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. That's the bite of a tick, and that tick can mimic almost any other illness. I think it's mimicking ALS. And David said, well, what do I do? The doctor from Texas said, you need do nothing. I'm going to start you on some treatments. And like Lazarus, he arose from the dead. Within two weeks, he was back to normal. So as part of my puzzle, I knew I had to go see David and talk to him. Uh, I got in touch with him at the Methodist Hospital in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And David and I talked for hours, and he said, can you come down and see me? And I said, of course, David. When do you want to see me? He said, what about right now? Well, it was our Thanksgiving weekend back in 2003. And I said, I can't. He said, why? Aren't there any planes in Canada? (laughs) (laughs) So I said, well, maybe one or two. He said, well, tell your wife you're not going to be joining her for dinner. And I said, well, David, we're having 50 people over. He said, she can handle it, I'm sure. So... Yes, I told her I wasn't going to make it. And she said, of course you must go if this can help you. So I got on a plane from Edmonton to Denver. Great flight, three hours long. Then I got on the flight from hell from Denver to Colorado Springs. It was late in the day, and the air comes off the desert in eddies there. And it produces this thing called turbulence, which causes the plane to go for, turn into a wild mouse. It turns into the great, uh, the drop of doom over and over and over again. It, you drop and then you climb again. You drop and then you climb again. You drop and then you climb again. And oh my God, I got off that plane green. And there was David to meet me on the tarmac. It was 2003. There wasn't the high security that goes on now. And he said, Dr. Leica, I think history is repeating itself. I think I can help you. And sure enough, he started me on treatment, and I was able to maintain my status as one of the top cosmetic doctors in the world for over 30 years until I walked away last year to serve more people by writing books and helping them go through some of the things that I went through. That's so amazing to think that you went from your career in medicine to because of your personal diagnosis and the personal journey through this misdiagnosis, being able to piece together this this detour in your life that's for the better. <laughs> I'm not knocking what you did before, but I feel like you healed before physically for people as a doctor. Now you're going to be healing the spiritual. I believe in mind, body, spirit myself. So now you're going to be doing an enlarged role. You're not leaving medicine to do what you're doing. You're enlarging your role, in my opinion. 
to do more. Well, that's true, and, <laughs> and, and you must, you must now thing. hear Harriet's story because Harriet's story is Absolutely. even more dramatic than mine. And, and just before oh, I get into that, Harriet, you're both, and you're both out of Canada, right? Just so I know for our audience, I didn't bring that up in the beginning, and I apologize. Yeah, we're in a little place called. We're in a little place called Edmonton, Alberta, which is the okay. former home of Wayne Gretzky, the greatest hockey player of all time. And we're way up in the north, so that's where we live. That's exciting. Harriet, tell us about your story because I really want to hear about your personal experience because I think it really will inspire our audience. Oh, you bet. But I wanted to rewind back to what you were saying about Abraham Lincoln. It's actually interesting. We do actually have him as one of our chapters in, um, under tenacity how his mother died, his business failed, and he was failing, failing, but at the end of the day, he came up on top. So his his experience is very similar to ours. Um, Now, uh, for myself, I really, even today, it's still surreal for me to believe that um, I'm a domestic violence survivor. Here I was, an international model. I was walking the runway, and I was always full of confidence, but yet I was a victim of a stalker. So my my story really begins when I just retired from the modeling industry, which I'd been in for over 10 years, and I decided to take a break from the industry and really focus on my formal education. So it was at the university that I was befriended by a fellow student, and I had absolutely no idea that his attraction to me was a psychological trap that was just disguised as love that would later on become deadly. And I was your typical victim of domestic violence. I was young, I was naive, and I had absolutely no clue of the signs of or patterns of an abusive relationship, but yet I was vulnerable enough to trust him. And and as I got to know him, he became very, very abusive. He would hit me, he would yell at me and scream, but later on, apologize. And People would ask, most people would probably ask, why didn't you leave? Well, when you're going through a domestic violence situation, there's usually two reasons. There's fear because you're afraid to leave. And the other one is your self-esteem. Now, with him, you'd always apologize. And it became to a point where I was afraid for my life. So what I decided to do is go to the police and ask for advice. They said, really, there's nothing they can do because nothing has happened. But the only thing they could offer me is a restraining order. And for the sake of your audience, a restraining order is just a document that basically stops the stalker from coming near you, so he can't come near you. So when I got that, I was quite happy. I thought it's gonna be, life is gonna continue on as it should. And it was one evening that I was busy at the university studying and getting ready for my project that was due within days. And I looked at the time, and it was quite late, about 11 o'clock. So I decided to pack my bag and just go straight to my apartment. It was only five minutes away because I lived on campus. So as I walked to the apartment building, I wasn't aware of my surrounding. I just kept looking in my handbag so I can make sure I have my keys as soon as I get out of the elevator. When I got into the elevator, I felt somebody grab me by the neck and squish my neck really hard. And in a voice that was very familiar, and it was my stalker. So he said to me, you, how dare you have that restraining order against me? Don't you know that I'm the only man who ever loved you? I have unconditional love for you. And when I heard his voice, I started to scream. And he was afraid that somebody might hear me. So what he did, he quickly took his shoes off and took his socks off, and he just stuffed it in my mouth so that I can be quiet, just to silence me. And then he grabbed me out of the elevator and pushed me into his vehicle. And as we're driving, he's yelling, he's screaming, he's telling me how dare I do what I did. And as we're driving, we happened to run into a telephone booth. And he looked up and he looked at me and he said, Harriet, you need to get out of this vehicle and go call your parents. And say goodbye to them because this is the last time they'll ever hear from you. When he said that, I said no. And he looked at me again because he was quite shocked that I dare say no to him. So he said again, Harriet, in the back of my car, I have a rope, a knife, and gasoline. I am going to wrap your body up with a rope, cut your body in pieces, 
and put gasoline all over you. Now, are you going to call your parents? I looked at him again and I said, no. So the second no was worse. So he got very, very angry and upset. So he reached over the glove compartment, took, took out a knife, and he stabbed me twice on my left thigh. And as he did that, those blood gushing everywhere, it filled the windshield. And even today, actually, I have absolutely no idea how I got from that point in the vehicle to the hospital. But when I woke up, there was my father, and there was the doctor, and in the back, in the waiting room, there was media, and there was, there was, there was police. They're all waiting to talk to me. So the doctor told my father that, unfortunately, the stab wound was so deep, my bone was chipped, and chances are I'll never walk again. And when he said that, I was absolutely shocked. Here I was. I had been a model walking the runway full of confidence. And here I was, a cripple and depressed. And the only thing that separated my confidence and my depression was my trauma. So I started going through the motions, similar to what Dr. Leica was going through, asking myself, why me? How could this happen? I'm a good person. You know, you start kind of having a dialogue with yourself and hoping your higher power, you know, why would this happen? What's the meaning of all of this? And as I questioned myself, I knew I had to start healing because the doctor had said I could start physiotherapy. Maybe that would help. So I started having my physiotherapy and it was in the waiting room where I was waiting for my, for, for the therapist to come in and do my physio when a little girl came in with so much joy. She wheeled in with a song in her mind and she had so much joy on a wheelchair and she came in and I really did not want to talk to her. She caught me in a moment where that feeling where you don't want to talk to anybody, anybody, you just want to be left alone. So she was starting to talk to me and I ignored her, but she was so tenacious. She kept asking and asking. And eventually I had to talk to her and I told her exactly why I was there in the version that a nine-year-old could understand. As she heard my story, she, her big green eyes opened up and she said, wow, you really should use your story to inspire the world. And when she said that, I had to do a double take. I couldn't believe a nine-year-old <laughs> had such wisdom. Like, she's only nine. Where did she get this wisdom? So as I got to talk to her, she told me that in their family, they always shared stories. They always sit around and share stories and, and to them. So for her, this was a story that I could share with the world. And I asked her why she had so much joy and why she was in a wheelchair. So she told me that she was in a car accident. She was just going to a, a, a recital, a ballet recital with her parents. And unfortunately, there was a head-on collision. So now both her parents had died. So she was motherless, fatherless, and homeless. Yet she had so much gratitude. She said to me that she's just lucky to be alive. So the parents had instilled so much values and gratitude in her that she was still okay that she was alive. So when I heard her story, I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, my story is nothing compared to hers. However, life is not about comparing stories. It's really about what you do with what happens to you. So it wasn't later on, as I got better, that I started connecting the dots, what she had said and what I'd gone through and that sort of thing. And that's when I decided to open up my business called Empowered Me, which is about empowering young people, especially girls and women, to be let go of unlimited beliefs and be the truest version of themselves. And Dr. Laika being a philanthropist, as he was, always giving back to the community, he was sponsoring an event called the YWCA Women of Distinction, where they recognized women in the community. There was trailblazers, there was women in art, women in science, so different categories. So I was nominated in the category called Turning Point. And that's where you have used your story to make a difference in the community. I was quite excited because I became an honored. I was the recipient who won that in that category. So I was happy because I knew I was going to meet Dr. Leica, the biggest sponsor of that event. So I got to meet him and I asked him to meet me for lunch. I often remind him that I paid for the lunch. <laughs> she <laughs> always forget. reminds me she bought me lunch. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
little reminder there. <laughs> so as we get to, to talking, we actually talked about maybe perhaps one day writing a book because he shared his story as well. And that was almost six years ago. And here we are today. We wrote the book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. And we share the 12 golden pearls that we've discovered within. That's phenomenal. What an amazing story for both of you. Looking at your book and looking at the, I believe, see, from my vantage point, I believe the universe brought you guys together. God brought you guys together to tell your story from your personal ordeals and your experiences. I want to ask this. The two of you working together on this book, what was the greatest challenge you both encountered trying to get your stories coordinated and put together and coordinating with each other and getting it to be the, the best version of the story you wanted to share like from your experiences? What was your greatest challenge individually for both of you or well, independently? Well, for me, I, you know, there's no such thing as good writing, Jason. There's only good writing. And so, you know, it's not hard to write. In fact, one of the pundits was said, all you have to do is slit your wrists and bleed. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> writing is actually... Uh, not hard to do. It's the rewriting and capturing the words exactly how you'd like it. But, you know, fortunately, I've had such a great um, counterpoint in, in Harriet here in that, you know, I will give her many of my thoughts that don't make sense, and she will give them back to me in such a way that they make sense. And she will offer her thoughts in such a way that we uh, that I can modify them and so on. And, and the beautiful thing about it, we've always done it without ever having an argument, without ever having any rancor, without ever having any turmoil. It truly has been a growth experience for both of us because, you know, it is difficult to, you know, when you're literally writing, you're leaving yourself naked to to the fact that somebody can hurt you or abuse you. And, you know, we've never experienced any rants or, or disharmony in this. We've always looked at it as an opportunity to make the writing better and to make it even better than it was before. And, you know, our book has gone through over 20 revisions in that six-year period of time. So it shows how much how much rewriting we had to do to get it right. That's you so bet. I agree with that. Point. You know, one of the things I want to ask as a follow-up, I'm just saying this myself. What role did, in terms of your healing process for Harriet, for both of you, I'll pose this to both of you, but especially to you, Harriet, the, the act of forgiveness, did that work within your process for this book when you went through your personal experience with, with your uh, stalker? Did you manage to go through that process, or where are you with that? And if you could share that with our audience and how that factors in to your paradigm shift in your life. Oh, you bet. Um, and that's one of the golden pearls. So forgiveness for me was one of the biggest turning point, I should say, in order to move forward. And the way a lot of experts tell us, you should forgive quickly so you can start healing. And it's easy to do if maybe somebody cuts you off when you're driving, you can forgive quite quickly. Or if your friend is late and you're supposed to meet for lunch, that's easy to forgive. However, if you go through trauma or somebody hurts your child, that's a little bit more comprehensive than just forgiving overnight. So we're not, we not born with the ability to forgive, but we are born with the ability to hate. And hate is a natural human emotion. And, and I'm not trying to advocate hate, but uh, if you look no. in Wikipedia, hate, the definition of that is an intense or passionate dislike for someone. So when people say hate, really what they mean is I don't want to be angry. The anger, because anger is more reactive, it's hostile, it's destructive, and it shows lack of control. Hate protects and it's more proactive. And the way I, I say that is that hate makes love more obvious. For example, I can say I hate cancer because it hurts my father with suffering. I feel helpless. So when I was going through the process of forgiveness, I used three steps. And this worked for me. Number one, I had to write down the reason that I was hating, the why I was feeling that way. So I said, I hate my attacker because he put me in the hospital. I hate my attacker because he put a scar on my leg. So that's step one, the reason why I was hating. Number two, take the second sentence and turn it into love. I hate my attacker because I love being healthy. I hate my attacker because I love my perfect imperfections. And then number three, get rid of the hate 
and focus on the love statements. I love being healthy. I love my perfect imperfections. Now it becomes a love journal. So in the morning, you can write down the reason, reason why you love. In the, afternoon, in the evening before bedtime, you write down the reasons why you lo- you're loving. So it becomes a love journal. And this really, really helped me. So number one, write down the reason why you feel that way. Number two, take the second ten- sentence and turn it into love. And number three, focus on the love statement. So those three really helped me. And it's a very comprehensive step. And forgiveness is really, really, and I know it sounds a cliche, but it's really for yourself so that you can continue to heal. Because if I didn't forgive and start continue to hate or get angry, my stalker is out there having a lot of fun, you know, enjoying life, is having a time of his life. Meanwhile, I'm just so angry. So I decided to just forgive so I can move forward and just start having um, having the life that I was meant to have. Well, you know, and also about hate and love is that, you know, hate is very similar to the very primitive emotions we have that protect us from wild animals, such as the flight, fright, fight reaction. Now, that's in the basic part of our midbrain, and it causes us to run away from a bull that's charging us or some wild animal that's charging us. So it's very wired in the smaller parts of our brain. The part of forgiveness is up in the frontal lobes of our brain, the higher parts of our brain. So we have to activate that when we go forward. You know, when when a snake bites us, it's not the snake bite that kills us. It's the venom that keeps going inside of our body and, and percolating through and doing this. So I, I want you to realize that forgiveness is not done for the person that hurts you. It's done for yourself so that you can grow and come out of those negative emotions. Now, the thing about forgiveness it's not a one-time thing. It's an all-time thing. You know, many people have to forgive over and over and over again before it becomes a reality. And and those are things that people have to realize that this is a conscious decision that you make and you really bring it to the forefront. Forgiveness is a very intelligent action. You know, it was Martin Luther King that said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Heat cannot drive out heat. Only love can do that. And, And I think those words need to be said over and over again in this particular time where our society has come out of COVID in a very angry state. And and we have to move to that more compassionate, loving state to make something happen and, and move forward. You know, Oprah Winfrey said forgiveness is giving up, is not giving, is giving up the hope that the past could have been different. It's accepting the past for what it was and using this moment and this time to help yourself move forward. So in our book, we have a story at the beginning of every chapter that helps people to understand the story. And we have sprinkled throughout the story, just just like in an oatmeal cookie raisins, we have all these quotes that help people to understand the story that much better. And then in this book, we have this beautiful dialogue that's between Harriet and I, and it's written just as we wrote the book. So a person is actually eavesdropping on us as we were making the conversations come forward. And that's the beauty and uniqueness of this book. It's a voyage of discovery for the person that reads it. They literally are discovering all these pearls that are deep down inside themselves. And if they concentrate on just one of them, their life will be better. It cannot be. It cannot not be. It, it will definitely be better because of the way that, that it's discovered. That's a very valid point. Absolutely. I'm looking at what you guys did with your book. There's 13 golden pearls. We touched on a few of them. I'd like to highlight some of these other golden pearls that you identify in your project together. So our audience has, uh, and it doesn't have to be all of them. I would just say, I guess my follow-up question would be, what are like three or four of the most important pearls that you think 
Well, you know, you know, after doing this so long, Harriet and I have separate favorite pearls. So I'm going okay. to let ladies first and let Harriet go into <laughs> her favorite pearl, pearl first, and then I'll delve into a couple of the other ones. Okay. I think uh, I absolutely love the the purpose intention. That's uh, number five in our book, and that one I. That's what my favorite, and Dolly Patton said it beautifully. She says, everybody has a purpose. And in the book, we use, we, we use a concept called ikigai. And ikigai is a Japanese word meaning reason for being. So when you're trying to find your purpose, in brackets, ikigai, you have to ask yourself four very important questions, especially now with COVID going on, people staying isolated and quarantined. This is a good time to be trying to figure out what your ikigai is. So ask yourself four very important questions. So number one, what is it that you love to do? Maybe you enjoy playing soccer. It doesn't necessarily mean you want to be a soccer player. It could mean that you want a career that has that competitive edge, maybe that team focus. Or perhaps you like the art gallery. Maybe you like a career that has creativity in it. So that's number one. What is it that you love to do? Number two, what are you good at? It could be maybe you're a good listener. You could be a psychologist or you could host your own podcast like you, Jason. Or maybe you're good with numbers. <laughs> like me, I am good. I'm an accountant. So you could be or sometimes if you don't know what you're good at, ask your friends. You may have done something for them, and they're like, you're the only person who can do this. So that will give you an idea of what you're good at. And then number three, what does the community need, especially now with what's going on? There's some gaps in, in the community or in the world that you could fill in with your talent. And then, of course, the last one is what can you do and get paid for? Some people don't want to get paid, but overall, people want to be compensated in what they're good at. So those are the four questions. What is it that you love to do? What are you good at? What does the community need or the world need? And number four, what can you do and get paid for it? So what I would encourage your listeners is to do what I call the part-time ikigai, where you do you find out what you're good at and what you love to do. So if you just do it part-time, maybe just do it every day from five to whenever, it'll just give you an idea where you're at with your ikigai. And passion is for you, purpose is for others. So once you figure out your ikigai, you have found one of our golden pearls. You know what I like about your answer? We all just learned a new cool term, ikigai. I love learning new language like that, nomenclature, that gives us the ability to be tuned in to, to what you're discussing here. It's a great concept. Thank you for yeah, sharing. Okay. Oh, well, well, I'm like going to go like through to share two your pearls, pearl? Jason. Yeah. I'm going to go first through the, the pearl of laughter. You know, laughter is one of the most important ones. That's pearl number 11, because it's one of the few things that can bring your mind and body back into sync within a second. And you know, Jason, scientists have discovered laughter, and they've studied it. Do you know that they've come up with the world's funniest joke? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> well, let's go through that. There was a, a, a scientist by the name of Richard Wiseman that rated all jokes. He got everybody to rate them, and he came up with this one. You know, there were two hunters. They were out in the woods. And one of the hunters dropped down. He looked like he was dead. His buddy said, buddy, buddy, wake up, wake up. But he didn't move. So he does like everybody does. He picked up his phone and phoned 911. He said, operator, 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 help me, help me, help me. My buddy is dead. The operator said, calm down, sir. This happens all the time. Could you please make sure he's dead? So the buddy drops down the phone. You could hear the cock of a rifle and a loud bang. He comes back to the phone and says, okay, he's dead. What do I do now? Jay said he shot him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, that's either the world's funniest joke or the world's worst <laughs> joke based on how you put it. <laughs> But I, yeah. I think it shows one thing about jokes, Jason, is we laugh at the things that are the most ridiculous. We laugh at the things that are the most improbable. Do you laugh at somebody when they slip on a banana peel? I personally do not because I was, as a child, I lacked 
coordination and I would fall sometimes when I played sports. So I always had that personal opinion not to laugh at someone when they fall because I always worried about them. And even now as a but lawyer, you know, it's falls, called slapstick humor, isn't it? When we yeah. laugh at yeah. things like that, we laugh at the 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 Three Stooges. We laugh at at Laurel and Hardy doing what I what shouldn't be funny, but it's funny because the way that it comes about. But that's the nature of laughter. It allows us to laugh at ourselves when we do something stupid. You know, and that's the beauty of laughter. It helps us to go forward that way. And another thing you know that helps us. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go Sorry, ahead, Jason. I didn't interrupt Go you. ahead. No, I, I, I believe so heavily in laughter. When I had my own diagnosis and everything we've been going through the last few years and just the way things are in this world right now, I try to make it my point to laugh at least a little bit every night or a little bit in the morning around my work routine because I find laughter, is it, it, it's a natural elixir. It's a natural Feel good. Well, <laughs> I, I highly agree with with your with your finding for that. For we sure. agree with it a hundred percent. That's how this found its way into one of our thirteen pearls. But you know, we actually have twenty pearls, so we're working on a second book right now to bring out even more and some more amazement. But before I go into that, I'd like to tell everybody, you know, you really need to spend some time with this book because it has many depths and many things. We can only give you a superficial overview here. And I'd like to go into one of my other favorite pearls, and that pearl is something called enthusiasm. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story that's in our book about that. There was a carpenter by the name of Fred. And he had worked for the same company for 45 years. He was tired. He was burnt out. He couldn't take it anymore. So he went to his boss and said, boss, I'm done. I've lost my enthusiasm. I'm out of here. The boss was taken aback. This was his best carpenter. He helped him build every house that was ever built in the company. So he turns to Fred and said, Fred, could you just please do one more thing for me? And Fred said, Okay, I'll do anything, boss. I've loved it here. This has been the only job I've ever had. Uh, what would you like? The boss said, could you build me just one more house? Only you can do it. You're my master carpenter. So Fred begrudgingly said yes, but his heart wasn't into it. He dragged his butt to work. He barely got the job done. Instead of working 18 hours like he did in the old days, he worked two hours a day. But a miracle happened. The house still passed inspection, even though the work was done really shoddily. So Fred went to his boss and said, okay, I'm done. The boss said, just hold it, Fred. He gathered everybody in the office together and said, you know, this is a very happy day for Fred. He's been our best worker. I wish all my workers were like Fred. And Fred, I've got a very special gift for you. He said, here's the keys to the last house that you've ever built. May you enjoy it with the, all the enthusiasm you've shown me all the days of your life. Wow. Now, do you see what I'm getting at, Jason? Yeah. Enthusiasm is not a Tuesday thing. Enthusiasm is not a Monday thing. Enthusiasm is not a Friday thing. Enthusiasm is the thing you got to bring to the game every day. Otherwise, what's the point in doing it? You must bring enthusiasm because it's what's really important and what really is the game changer. That would make a lot of sense. If you're going to do something, you might as well be passionate about it and be put your best effort into it. <laughs> That's how I would look at that <laughs> when you say that. I, I love your 13 pearls. I think when we have things, concepts that we could break down into different pieces and parts, I feel like our society, we've been trained to be reductionistic. You know, medicine, for example, is reductionistic. Instead of looking at the gestalt, we break it down into our intermittent parts, our interceding parts. So looking at what you both come up with for your book and coming up with the 13 golden pearls, and you have 20, so I'm excited about a novel, the, the, the uh, sequel to this or the continuation of it. I, I think it's great. Uh, from my vantage point, I was looking at the other pearls that you mentioned, and to, not to touch on the ones you haven't covered, but one of the ones I thought was really good is vulnerability. And I want to ask you both about vulnerability because how, how I look at vulnerability is uh, from a personal perspective is your ability to like let down your walls, be real with people, not to be afraid to be letting someone know 
details about you that you might be afraid for them to know, but you get closer to the person and be more real and authentic as that process. Is that the same type of concept that's incorporated into your, into your, into your book or is it well, a different I, type I, of I want Harriet to answer this one because Harriet is a very beautiful, wonderful lady, but she has um, a passion and she runs these death races, you know, these, these races that go for days in her bare it's a marathon. feet. You know, it's not a marathon. It's like an ultra, ultra, ultra marathon. It is one of these ones that that is beyond belief. And Harriet, why don't you tell them about that and vulnerability? <laughs> you bet. I think vulnerability is definitely emotional exposure. Um, and yep. as Dr. Leica was saying, I do, I do, I definitely do ultra marathons. And in case your listeners don't know what that is, it's anything that's um, over 50 miles. So I usually run wow. these 24-hour races, and you have to be mindful of of your diet and being able to. And I run barefoot, by the way, when I run these races. So I'm even <laughs> even out out there. So when I'm running these races, definitely there's a lot of vulnerability because at any time I could lose, and I have lost these. I have, there's been times where I'm at 80 miles and I can't do it. I'm done. So that shows vulnerability, and vulnerability is courage to actually get out there and get it done. And when I start running a race, I have absolutely no idea what could happen, but I took the courage to get out there and be there and be present. So that's one thing. And vulnerability is basically a mother of everything. It's guilt, it's fear, it's everything put together to form vulnerability. And even when we wrote this book, there was a lot of vulnerability involved. We had to share, expose ourselves on the stories so the world can learn from us. And we all know that Brene Brown is the, she is the, the master, the mistress of vulnerability. So she does say uh, vulnerability is a birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. So all of that, that's all that really gives you that emotional exposure, basically. I love that. I think that's a great valid point. All that is very valid. And thinking about being vulnerable emotionally to other people, I think it just helps a more dynamic nature of your connection with others in your life. And I think that that could definitely well, you know, be... You know, Jason, you can't be in love unless you allow yourself to be vulnerable. Because right. otherwise, you're just superficial. You're, you're never in that situation. But look what comes about when you allow yourself to become vulnerable. You allow yourself to get into a situation where true love and true transformation can happen. I just wrote down that quote because I really like that. <laughs> I do memes <laughs> for social media, and I might quote your quote on one of my things. Because I think you can't. <laughs> Really establish love until you're vulnerable. I think that's a great concept, and it's, it's very valid, very accurate. We're um we're running low on time. If you guys can believe how fast this interview went today, it really goes fast when you're having a good time and you connect on a good topic. And you guys are amazing, just in general, coming on. I want to ask this: How will our audience get in touch with the both of you regarding the book and just in general? Well, there's a couple of things, so I'll go first. First of all, we like to give all audiences. 52 golden pearls. And the way they do that is they text us the word golden pearls. Golden is one word. Pearls is another word. Pearls with an S to 1-819-717-2515. 1-819-717-2515. And we will text them a golden pearl a week for the next 52 weeks to get them in the right mindset. In addition, if they want to buy our book, if they could please go to fantasticlifebook.com, fantasticlifebook.com, because then we can give 20% of our book's profits to help a shelter in your area where women are fleeing domestic abuse. So this is our way of giving it back. Otherwise, you can buy it at Amazon.com or Amazon.ca and send us the receipt to Alan at DrAllenLeica.com and you can uh, get it that way as well. And if you'd like to find out all the other services that Harry and I offer, like professional speaking, like coaching, 
please go to DrAllenLeica.com. And Harriet also has a special site for some of the services that she offers. You bet. So I focus on young girls and uh, young women, but I also do empower empower boys because you're going to empower women you also have to empower boys so for for um to get a hold of me is www.empoweredme.ca so empoweredme.ca ed at the end great i want to ask you guys is uh one last question i usually ask this on my show so it's not like i'm asking you a question i haven't asked others but if you were a spirit animal which spirit animal would you be and why and I'll go first just to give you an idea because I usually do this on my show. So uh, for me, I usually say I'd be an owl. And the reason I say owl from a personal experience is that they're very, they like to get the big picture. I have a, a, a penchant for parrots. I have two parrots of my own. I like birds. And I feel like owls are wise. They're supposed to gather wisdom. So that's why I do that for myself. So if I was asked both of you about your own spirit animal, if you were to take a stab at that, what would you, what would you pick and why? Go ahead, Ariel. I, I think I would definitely go with an eagle because I find the eagle is very cautious. It, and I'm just kind of asking, kind of saying that because um, even my logo, if you look at my logo, it's a bird for Empowered Me. Yeah. So it's about freedom, like flying. It's, uh, it, it's one that for me symbolizes freedom and empowerment. So definitely I would, I would choose the eagle. Excellent. Thank you. You know, I think I, I think I'd have to choose the same one as Harriet for similar reasons because you can mm-hmm. see everything from up there, and eagles are some of the most majestic birds in the world. They they truly can, uh, you know, they are, are given the gift of flight and being able to overcome all their obstacles as a result. So I think they're some of the most beautiful animals that can exist. Excellent. I really want. To, I I really enjoyed this interview today, and I've. I just want to thank you both for coming onto the show and coordinating with me to let us share your story and talk about this amazing book that you guys have created, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Uh, thank you for coming on. And you have a, a sequel to this book coming out. Do you know when that's going to be? You know, it'll be a while. You know, in the meantime, we, we are working on this. We also have a couple of other books that just came out. Just last week, we had a book with Jack Canfield that came out called The Pillars of Success. Um, it was a bestseller as well. So people can people can also yeah. get into that one and learn a little bit more while they're awaiting our time. But, you know, also check us out on social media and podcasts because we've got over 100 podcasts out there that we've been on, and we've really been able to give people a lot more meaning and breath as a result that way. And we also have our own podcast called The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. And, Jason, so happy we'd, to, like to yeah. invite, we'd like to invite you as a guest on that as well. I would be extremely honored absolutely just let me know uh, i would love to do that <laughs> okay we'll get our girl tammy working on that thank you guys I, I i'm really excited about having our audience hear this episode and discover your story to delve into the 13 golden pearls and the secrets to living a fantastic life i just think it's phenomenal and thank you so much for being you <laughs> inspiring us <laughs> to, your, to your own adversity i think if, if we as a society took your mindset and how you approach things right now because of your personal ordeals that you've overcome and, and shape that into an approach and strategy, I think that's what's needed right now. It's nourishment for the soul. Perspective is so important, and I think that's what this is all about. Gaining the right perspective when you're dealt a negative set hand of cards to know that that's not your only hand you're ever going to have in life. Let's take those cards and turn them into uh, a winning strategy, and that's what I think the both of you have done rather well, and I thank you for both coming on and sharing this today. Yeah, thank you for having us, Jason. It was a pleasure. Yeah, Actually, so Jason, you guys inspired me. Did you choose the owl because it moves its head 360 degrees too? Is that also part of the? You know, reason? that's a good one. That's actually a very valid point because I try to look at everything from all perspectives possible. Um, being an attorney and a psychic medium at the same time, <laughs> yeah, both sides of your brain kind of fire at the same time. You got to learn to separate those when you're in different roles, and so yeah, probably so. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Very valid. I like that. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We, talk, we really enjoyed the dialogue, and you were doing great work, so continue doing what you were doing as well. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. I look forward to uh, working more. And I was going to say, when you guys come up with your other stuff, please let us know. I'd love to feature 
your your concept and your, <laughs> yeah. your collaboration. So keep me posted so our audience can benefit from that if you're interested. I'd love to have Sounds wonderful. We look forward to that very, very much. Yeah, Great. Awesome. Well, Great. Thank you so much. And bye, Dr. Leica. <laughs> bye for now. Carry on. <laughs> thank you, guys. Yeah. Be safe. I know. Yeah, Stay safe during this crazy time. Thanks, guys. I just want to thank Dr. Leica and Harriet Higa for coming on to the show today. I think they're amazing. I think you could just tell from listening to their dialogue and their the ability of them to work together to create something beautiful out of their own personal hardships. One of the things for me, looking at prospective guests who come onto the show, what type of impact will one of our guests have for audience? I'm looking at this and I'm evaluating, you know, Dr. Leica and Harriet coming onto the show. And I mean, think about 13 golden pearls in this book, right? And we're talking about each of these and there's obviously more to look at, but I just, I really do think being misdiagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, could you imagine how horrifying that would be in your life? I went through enough going through a cancer diagnosis of stage one kidney cancer, and that transformed my life and how I look at it every day I breathe. I couldn't imagine having a Lou Gehrig's disease diagnosis and going through that ordeal or dealing with a stalker when you're a runway model and you get attacked like that. I think each of you who are listening to this Think of that for a minute. Those are like the two most, and I'm not trying to downplay anyone else that goes through hor horrific experiences, but when you're going through these kind of things, think of what, it, what it's like to go through your mind when you're experiencing this kind of thing. What's it like to be held up by a stalker and be injured? And or, and or what is it like to think that you might die within your own body? You could shut down. And I think with this pandemic, too many of us have seen all those stages. The, the stages that Dr. Leica mentioned earlier, the grief, the anger, the disbelief, the fear, those very stages, we all go through that when you have a transformative experience. It's part of the process. It's amazing to think that you could take these horrifying experiences and turn them into this amazing thing. I'm using the word over. Uh, what I want to say is the collaboration of these two is amazing because look what it's created and look what it continues to create on a daily basis. Right now, our audience is listening to this concept, entertaining the concepts within the secrets to living a, a fantastic life. And if even one of you in the audience is motivated by what we've discussed today, let's say you lost someone from COVID or you had a bad breakup or you're dealing with some really bad negative situation, I would say take a step back, take three deep breaths, look at your situation, compare it to what Dr. Leica or Harriet Tinka went through in this episode. Does it compare to those? And if it does, how so? Is it less serious? Is it more serious? If you do that in your own mind, but then you think of what they discovered and how they're taking their own obstacles and creating something that's gonna be so empowering for others on so many levels. That's what I respect about Dr. Leica and Harry Tinka. They, they, they're, they're looking at their lives, they haven't given up. They haven't rolled over and just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. They're not angry. They've learned to forgive. Their attitudes are where it needs to be. They're looking at their own vulnerabilities, but they're thankful for it. They're thankful for the negative experience. And, and that's one of the things I think is so critical. When you are dealt a blow in life and the wind's knocked out of you, the best thing we could do after going through a certain level of stress, anxiety, fight or flight, depression, whatever it is, give yourself some time to adjust. What you can do after that, if you have the right mindset, is make some lemonade from those lemons. That's my input on this. We have two amazing people that have taken their experiences and have created something beautiful that's inspiring to others, that can help people really look at things from a certain point of view that might give them, we need hope. We need hope more now than ever. And that's what I think this book can do. So check out The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. I think you're going to really enjoy it. I've listed Harriet and Dr. Leica's individual websites in the program notes to the show, to the episode. So check that out. Everyone who supports our show, I deeply appreciate you. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to reach out to me, you could always email me, info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com. We will continue to have programming, uh, more episodes in the near future. And thank you so much for tuning in this episode. There will be many more to come. Until then, stay safe, stay positive, and be happy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. 
don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Are you looking for that perfect gift to express your appreciation for your loved one or bestie? Well, look no further. Royal Susie offers one-of-a-kind designs with genuine high-quality crystals, stones, and the most precious of metals that are guaranteed to satisfy the urges of your inner king or queen. Each piece is handcrafted with love and is sure to inspire and captivate all. Indulge yourself by visiting Royal Susie's website at www.royalsusie.com for splendid items like agate bookends, impressively crystal-studded bottle stoppers, and beautifully handcrafted nightlights that will charm every room in your home. Royal Susie's featured collections will truly delight your guests and always make them feel welcome. Any questions? Contact Royal Susie directly by email at royalsusiedesigns at yahoo.com. With the Baker's Plus card, it's easy to get lower than low prices. For the win! Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Electric Acid.